Welcome to the Black and Gold Banneret Podcast. Jeff Sharon, Eric Lopez, and Brian Murphy with you in the aftermath of American Athletic Conference football. Media days, it's like we don't even have an offseason anymore. Like, I haven't even been able to do any of the, you know, offseason type things that I like to do because there's just been news all over the place. And I mean, here we are. It's almost August. Okay, we're two weeks away from August, and it's football media days, and that means football is getting ready to start up. And you can, well, no, you can't really smell the fall from here. It's 95 degrees out. But um, nonetheless, Brian Murphy is with us, having having just returned, in fact, from uh, beautiful uh, Newport, Rhode Island. Murph, how uh, how was the clam bake? Oh, wait, no, you weren't at the clam bake. You arrived later no, that day, right? no. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. No, I skipped the clam bake because as I'm as I now I get put into the ether on other podcasts, uh, eating lobster out of the shell is completely overrated and not worth the trouble that you have to go to actually eat it. This is a philosophical question. Could you imagine being the first human who was so desperate to eat something on some deserted island that they were like, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to dive down and grab a giant sea scorpion and just try and eat its tail. Um, like the first guy who ever decided to eat lobster. <laughs> like, that makes, that, but that makes more sense because of the need to like eat things that are moving and alive and contain like proteins than to say, you know what? That cow has something that's coming out of it. Let me drink that. I, yeah, this is a philosophical debate that I think we're going to have to say. For <laughs> uh, Eric Lopez is also here who was not in Newport, but was monitoring, situ- monitoring matters closely. Eric, how are you? Good, good. Just glad I wasn't in Newport, with all due respect. <laughs> I was, oh, God. Yeah. Wow. Okay. You hear that, Murph? Um, the, uh, so I was, all right, so thanks to you guys for last week. I was out of town. I was on vacation. I was um, in uh, Palm Coast. And then, uh, and then I was in D.C. for the early part of this week. So I couldn't actually, you know, D.C. and Rhode Island are not all that close, contrary to the beliefs of mm-hmm. Southern. So, um, so I couldn't make it up there, but, uh, thanks again to Murph for heading up there and, uh, and we're going to talk about media days and some of the little mini stories that come out of it. Um, again, we are black and gold banneret, uh, UC, the home for UCF sports on SB nation. Uh, you can follow us at black and gold You may also follow us, uh, at, uh, at UCF underscore banneret on Twitter, uh, as well as uh, facebook.com slash black and gold banneret. So uh, let's uh, let's go ahead and dive right in because we've got, uh, it, it, you know, media days, you know, they released the uh, preseason polls. So I guess, you know, why not? We'll start at that. UCF was picked as the uh, preseason favorite to win the American. Um, they got uh, 19 of 30 media votes to win the East Division. Uh, Cincinnati had the other 11 in the East. USF was picked third. The West Division was a very close race. Memphis with 15 first place votes. Houston with 14. SMU with one. Um, and UCF was picked to win the conference outright uh, with uh, 12 votes. Cincinnati, eight. Memphis, six. Houston, four. So UCF comes in with the expectations, but it feels like the field, is, or at least in the media's eyes, the field is gaining on UCF uh, a little bit. I think a lot of the questions have to do of uh, that have to do with obviously the news of Daryl Mack's injury, and not that there's no faith in Brandon Wimbush, but it's just you don't know what you're gonna get. Um, 
at least in part. What was it, Murph? You were there. What was the discussion around around all that? Was there a sense of like, hey, you, uh, it, was there a sense from the people from outside of Orlando around the league that you know, hey, we think UCF might could be had this year, or is it like, you know what, some other team's going to be good, but it's 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 UCF's to lose. You know, I, I did ask that question to guys from Houston uh, and uh, like uh, Derek King. Uh, the quarterback at Houston. I asked, I asked the question to Mike Norvell from Memphis as well about do you see the league sort of catching up on UCF? And uh, you know, they kind of gave me you know non-answers. More talking about the, the depth of the, of the league and how there are more you know high-quality teams at the top now, where it's, it's, it's the talent's more spread out. Um, I will say the closeness of the poll, the proximity to UCF to the rest of the field. I don't know how much we could really uh, attribute Daryl Max's injury to that because. This media poll, um, the balloting closed on July 5th, uh, which is a week before that we even knew that Daryl had had sustained his injury. So this this right. poll should represent this poll should represent uh, really uh, people who are all thinking that even UCF at full strength with you know Daryl Mack healthy is not run away you know much better than the field, which I think the league overall is good. Eric, what do you think about that poll? You agree with it? Yeah, I think uh, I think Brian put it well there. I mean, look, I think regardless who the here's the thing, we're going to make a lot of big deal about this quarterback situation for the next I don't know all year. But in reality, no matter who's lining up, I don't care if you're a Mac person fan, if you're a uh, Wimbush fan, if you're a Gabriel fan, a Quadri Jones fan, there's going to be a drop off from Mackenzie Milton. I mean, it's just human nature. You can't, mm-hmm. I mean, it, it, you know, so yeah. I think that's where this is more about, right? Murph is a lot of people is like, there's going to be a drop off because Mackenzie Milton, the last two years has been the offensive player of the year in the conference. And so I think people are like, well, they're, they, they, that's a little bit of a drop off. And so I don't think it's that necessarily the teams have made up ground on UCF. It's more of, Hey, UCF's just not as good because they don't have arguably the greatest quarterback in the history of the program this year. That makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. Because yeah. uh, Mac and Mac and Wimbush are kind of the same guy, and they're both the kind of the similar athletes, but they're also very inaccurate passers from time to time. Whereas Milton uh, was was much more, at least within twenty yards and in, uh, and even on deep balls too, was was really accurate. Yeah. What do we think about? Real quick, I, I was curious about this. What do we think about the West? Because I feel like this could be Houston's year, especially with Dana Holgerson. Yeah. But, um, uh, but again, first year head coach. Not every first-year head coach is going to have the kind of first-year that Josh Heupel had, um, you know, Dane Hogelson or not. Um, Memphis gets the edge by one vote. and uh, Brian, you were the difference. Brian, for those yeah, who missed last yeah. week's episode, Brian announced, uh, you know, just went out of his way to announce he had a ballot. Uh, <laughs> I wasn't informed of this. Excuse he said me, it was quote, he, said, he said, Jeff, it was, quote, for content, perhaps. But really, he just wanted to announce that he had a ballot. Um, and you voted for mm. Memphis, uh, Murph. You were still uh, high on Memphis. In fairness to Murph, you're not alone. Uh, a lot of people are very high on Memphis. Tim Brando, as a matter of fact, uh, who does his top 10 poll for the preseason, has Memphis tied with UCF at number 10. He, be, he believes they're equal. And their team, one of them is going to represent the uh, All Access Bowl. So, um, not a surprise that Memphis is the front runner there by a vote. But I do think the West is a lot stronger than the East, and I think there's more, I think, barriers of opinions in the West, isn't there, Brian? Well, at least between Memphis and Houston, like you know, who's going to win that that side of that side of the conference? It's it, yeah, it is. 
the, the poll, the poll is pretty indicative of what we should expect, which is a really close race between two really solid teams. Um, talking to Mike Norvell, you know, I asked him if, if this is the best team he's had since, you know, over the last three years when they made the conference championship. And he didn't say that explicitly, but he did say that this is probably their, their most, their deepest and their most experienced team, which I, I think is true. They bring a lot of guys back on defense. They have Brady White back quarterback. I know Daryl Henderson's gone, but Patrick Taylor is next slouch in the slightest. And then obviously with Houston, you have Derek King, who, if he's healthy, I think is probably the best player in this conference. Certainly with Milton down, I think Derek King is, is, the, is the player of the year. And talking to him, it's, it's very obvious. Uh, the, the chip on his shoulder is huge. He is very internally motivated. He had a fire that burns. He looked at last season and how it ended as if something was stolen from them. Uh, and so uh, there's a lot of motivation relying, relying in, in Derek King and Houston overall. I would like to state for the record that Memphis plays at Houston on November 16th this season. Yeah. So. Huge. Brian, uh, Brian, yeah. Brian, you mentioned you talked to King. How is he health-wise? What is the status of Derek uh, Derek King? How are they feeling? How, what's the the outlook on him? No, he's been he's been he's been he's he's good to go. He's he's full go. He's fine. Uh, you know, he had a torn meniscus uh, uh, that ruled him out last year during the season. But uh, you know, it's been it's been quite a while since then. He's healed up, and uh, once he looks great, um, he fits obviously really well in in the whole in the Holgerson offense, which is you know more the the, the up you know run and shoot up and down and fast paced and. It's not really different from what Houston was already kind of running. Uh, they were already running a really fast-paced offense. It's just, you know, it, it's going to be just as dangerous. But when you've got a healthy Derek King, uh, it, it makes a difference. Obviously, you saw the way they played down the stretch after he got hurt. Uh, they lost, uh, I believe, their last Chicago season games, and then they got blown out in their bowl game. So, uh, again, if he's healthy, then probably, you know, and if he stays healthy, then I think, I think maybe the – the odds shift in Houston's favor because let's be honest, Mike Norvell has, has shown some tendencies, Eric, to not coach that great in fan, like big games. It's happened. You don't say. Um, Way to couch uh, that. One, you know. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't want to be insulting, but it, it, you know, it's happened. Um, but yeah, so Derek King stays healthy. He's probably uh, the, the player of the year in the conference and uh, leads Houston to the conference championship game. Uh, I want to I want to flip back over to the East and talk about Cincinnati here because they were the picked as the as the number two team behind UCF, but of course, you know, looking at how the schedule works out, that uh, Friday night October fourth game at Nippert Stadium in Cincinnati between the Knights and the Bearcats is going to shape up to be a very big early October game in uh, not just the American, but I think in the whole Group of Five bowl race like you were mentioning eric um cincinnati also has to play at houston they have to play at usf they have to play at memphis on black friday to finish out um the regular season that's a brutal schedule for cincinnati when you think about it um that's not including the non-conference they open right right against ucla then they go to ohio state um so (laughs) you know it's funny that's that's it's funny everybody likes cincinnati and 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 i you know I know a lot of people are very high on them, but I, I kind of think they could end up being a disappointment this year. Uh, I don't know, Mer- Brian, what do you, I know what's the talk about Cincinnati up there. I know that people are high on Luke Fickle and he's done a great job recruiting. They had a great year last year, but I mentioned that schedule. I think this UCLA opener is critical for them. Like it was last year. If they don't win that game, uh, that could kind of start a slippery slope there. 
Maybe. I, I, I don't know if I buy that. I, it, it, yeah, they could lose those non-conference games, but we're speaking about in-conference. You know, when I, like, when I talk about Houston, I didn't talk about the fact that they faced Washington State and Oklahoma in non-conference, and they might lose both those games. But they're still, I think, a really solid team. And I think Cincinnati, even if they struggle non-conference, you know, I think in this conference, they're still really good. And actually, if you want to look at, that, you know, the, the poll of, of who's going to win the conference outright overall, who's going to win the conference championship game, with Cincinnati getting the second most votes. Mm-hmm. UCF got 12 out of 30 points. Cincinnati gets eight of 30 points, followed closely by Memphis with, with five and Houston with four. So Cincinnati is seen as, yes, yeah, second in the East but maybe the second best team in this conference overall. And I unfortunately did not get a chance to talk to Luke Fickle uh, or any of the Cincinnati players because they were all over the room. Like, like a, slight, a slight sidebar here, this, the, the, the conference meeting day was set up really poorly. Like none of the players were really sitting at the tables where they should have been sitting with their like, team helmets, and then none of them wore their name tags. So they're just standing, they were just sort of milling about the room. You didn't know who was who. And uh, it was just kind of a cluster. Uh, so it was really poorly, uh, just uh, really poorly laid out. So because of that, I, I didn't get to talk to anybody in Cincinnati and, and, or Luke Fickle. But I think you can see at the poll that there is an incredible amount of optimism in Cincinnati this year, people viewing them as the second-best team in this conference uh, in either division. What uh, The over-unders I saw, I'm trying to pull up the latest over-unders that, that they had um... – uh, that the, the Cincinnati was like way there. I thought their over under was way low. I, th- I don't know if you guys have seen it. Have you guys seen it yet? Yeah, I don't know. I can, I, I, I don't I'm remember. Trying to, I'm trying to, we're pull, not degenerates I'm, I'm like you, Jeff. We're, we're not. Yeah, I know. Right. <laughs> but, uh, I, I, I thought I saw somewhere that, that there were somewhere around six and a half. I'm like, that is stealing money. What are you talking about? I, I disagree. Wow, here, really? I'm going dis- to disagree with both of you because I got it. Now, again, now in fairness, they, when I saw them in person last year, that was a terrible spot for them. They were playing at a jacked up spectrum stadium, ABC primetime. Milton was on for UCF. I could see where a lot of things were going against Cincinnati, but, Jeff, you mentioned that schedule at Houston, at Memphis, at South Florida, host UCF. That's, a, that's one of the tougher schedules in the conference, Murph. All I'm mm-hmm. saying is if they don't get off to a good start non-conference, that could lose some confidence and some mojo. I thought when they won at UCLA last year, that kind of set the tone for their great year that they ended up having. I'm just concerned that there's all this hype for them, and they might not meet up those expectations uh, at all, kind of like Temple last year. Mm. By the way, according to Thomas Football News, there this was this was in February though. Um, Cincinnati was projected seven and a half. Ugh. Um, yeah, good luck with you that. Know, so you're basically looking, you're basically looking to then go eight and four. You know, right. and they go eight and four. I can see um, that. You're saying you're saying Eric that if they lose UCLA and they, and they stumble out of the gate, you could see them in conference, looking over in conference, being maybe a 500 team in conference. Yes, that's all I'm saying. I, I sometimes okay. that happens where things just go south real quick on a season. I mean, yeah. uh, even with expectations. I'm not saying that the, you know just because they lose the non-conference means that you're not good in the league. But I do think uh, I do have questions still about how good Cincinnati is because really, if you look back at last year, I know they had all this success, but you know we we got all excited about that UCLA win. Well, UCLA was terrible, um, and so yeah. they really beat. I'm not sold that they're the second best team in the league. Like I think Memphis and Houston are better than Cincinnati. Um, you know, and, and I'm not, so, you know, if you at South Florida can figure some things out internally, maybe they're even just as good. I, I'm actually looking forward to see, 
you know, uh, do they, what kind of a team comes, that UCLA game out, by the way, for early in the year is so interesting because we're going to have Chip Kelly, you know, it, it's going to get, it's going to get really fun early to see uh, that, that early test for them. Um, and you, and you play should be good this year. Like they actually yeah. should be competitively good. Same. Right. What, 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 what was your thoughts, Brian, on Mike Oresco and uh, what he had to say? Obviously that was the other headline. They pretty much said, we're probably not going to expand. Uh, mm-hmm. He talked about the uh, teams playing tough schedules, uh, playing great opponents, uh, highlighting the first week, even of the season, which I thought is very interesting. What was your thoughts on Mike Oresco and uh, what he had to say? Yeah, I mean, a lot of it was sort of, uh, you know, patting the conference on the back and a lot of, like, you know, people mentioning about what's made us great to this point and, you know, <laughs> The state you know, of the fighting. conference is strong. <laughs> I mean, yeah, you know, a lot of that. It was it was kind of hilarious when the name Dill Whitaker was mentioned as far as people who have advanced to help advance the conference. Like, I guess, I mean, for a few months, if, when he was president, sure. Um, but, uh, you know, it, it was a lot of that. The meat was really, yeah, what would he say about UConn? What would he say about the 11 teams? And, you know, basically, he basically said that, you know, right now they're at 11 and they're not going to reach out to anybody. To, 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 they're, not look, they're not urgently looking to go to 12. Uh, if somebody wants to come to them with a, with a deal, then they might be willing to listen. But they're not, they're, they're, they, they're comfortable where they are right now. Uh, and they're not, you know, going to you know reach out to anybody and, and try to find that replacement right away. And then he also wouldn't speak a whole lot about UConn because the details of how they will actually exit the conference have not been ironed out. So when he was asked questions after his statement about UConn, he really was coy on everything because there's not a whole lot of specifics. Um, he did also say that uh, he doesn't think UConn leaving uh, will impact the ESPN TV deal at all. Uh, it won't. It won't cause them to renegotiate anything there as well. Now, I, I, I understand where he's coming from from a football perspective on that. Did did anyone? Now, I didn't see exactly, but did anyone ask him about non-football uh, possible replacement for uh, UConn to even out those schedules? No, no one asked about non-football things at Football Media Day. Oh, oh how dare they! <laughs> That yeah, is so- they, they got, God, what a shocker. Well, that media there. Oh, we just want to go football. I just got, I just, that is, that is, that, Murph, I got to give you credit. That was some impressive shade you threw at me just now. It's really yeah. impressive. Um, <laughs> I felt, Nobody well, I, asked about non-football stuff at football. Yeah, media. <laughs> I did find the most interesting thing he said, though, Murph, and you could, he even, I mean, you, it was funny. Like, he didn't want to get into detail, but at the same time, he also acknowledged that they, they've talked to the Big Ten about scheduling football with 11 yeah as far as how yeah as far as how like with 11 teams how would they you know how would they go about uh scheduling you know scheduling with you know in the future and basically saying that we want to keep our rivalries and and then you know with like ucf and usf uh like ohio state michigan play every year but how which teams they'll play every year will will sort of be determined in like a big big format yeah and and um a couple of people threw this around about how you would play. You would basically have two teams designated as your your every year teams, and then the other six slots would rotate. Um, I guess it, before we go to break, I guess I'll throw this question over to both of you guys. Wh- which two schools would you like to see um, UCF get uh, get permanently tied to? I, I know obviously one of them is probably going to be South Florida. Um, yeah. Who else would you like to see? Eric, I'll start with you. 
Ooh, well, uh, yeah, South Florida is the obvious one. I mean, yeah, that, but and you got to get, get one more. And Mike Oresco even alluded to that as the example. Um, yeah. I think the second one's very interesting, right? Like, you can make the case for East Carolina because they have a long history going back to Conference USA. I know East Carolina's down right now, but you can make that case that that should be their second and one. Even going back much further than that, actually, going back to sure. the 80s. Yeah, so I think that's one that you can make the case for. Uh, you could make the case for somebody, for example. I mean, Cincinnati, I don't know. I think, it, 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 you know, if you believe Cincinnati and UCF are going to be the top two of the top teams in that region, it's interesting. I, if I had to say, I would say East Carolina and South Florida just because of the history they have with both schools. That would be the just off the cuff. What do you think, Murph? Yeah, it's really hard to pick another team out of the East Division. You know, I mean, if they if they opened it up to the entire conference, you'd say, I would say Memphis because of the rivalry that's been created there. Good and that, point. You know, I mean, if the see because like it, yeah, it's a bit of recency bias, but uh, I don't think there's a team outside of UCF, USF in this conference that UCF fans have more acrimony toward than Memphis, and that's only because of familiarity because we we've seen them in so many big games uh, in in football, but also in basketball as well recently. So um, you know, probably that. But uh, but otherwise, I mean, there's really no like natural like I really want to see this matchup. Like, there's really none of that in this conference, and some of that just has to do with the fact that the conference is still pretty young and pretty new, and and these matchups really don't have much history or much gravitas to them. I believe it's like the fourth time I've used the word gravitas for some reason in the last five weeks. <laughs> um, anyway, yeah. So there's just about not a whole lot of stuff to grab onto, but those would be the teams that you'd, you'd want to see you know, them play the most. Be US, USF and Memphis. You know what? Yeah. That makes sense. That makes sense geography-wise, too, and they did play back in conference, too. So, you know, this is why Brian has the ballot for the American Conference, Jeff, and you and I don't, because Brian... I, I think I think I had the ballot because I actually filled out an application to come to this thing. As long as they were... <laughs> as long as you... I think, I think as long as you were willing to make the trip, they sent you a ballot. I, uh, I should note that uh, UCF has played no team in the American Athletic Conference uh, more often than East Carolina. First matchup was back in 1991. UCF and EC have played 17 times. Uh, uh, ECU leads the series 10-7. I think that might be the. I think that might be the one just based on the history of it. Um, I'm going to throw my hat in the ring for Houston, by the way, because I and I and Eric and Brian, you both have heard me say this before. If you were to ask me which school in the American you know, overall is the closest to UCF in terms of profile. Um, yeah. In terms of, you know, where their athletic programs are right now and where the universities are right now in terms of their characteristics, I would say it's not South Florida, it's Houston. Um, because of, you know, where these two schools are basically in their history and in the landscape of college sports overall. So I, I don't know. It'd be a toss up between, Houston and ECU. The uh, UCF the UCF history guy in me wants ECU because uh, because that, that goes back about well. ECU won eight of the first nine meetings between these two between these two and UCF has won six of the last eight. But uh, but yeah, that would be that would be pretty interesting to say the least. All right, we're gonna take a quick break and when we get back, we'll talk a little bit more about what came down from. Uh, media day and some other stories from the off season as well stick around the black and gold banner podcast is back after this welcome back to the black and gold banner podcast jeff sharon eric lopez brian murphy with you ucf underscore banner on twitter follows each individually at jeff underscore sharon eric lopez elo and spokes 
underscore Murphy. Um, a little uh, news that I wanted to pass along uh, from the mothership. Um, so we have this new uh, initiative that we're undertaking, uh, and SB Nation is unveiling what they're calling the Fan Pulse Top 25. So what you got to do, uh, come out to our website, blackandgoldbanneret.com. And sign up to join SB Nation Fan Pulse. And every week, you get to vote on a fan top 25 ranking. And every week, we will uh, reveal the results. So as I said earlier on Twitter this week, it's our chance to finally get it right. Um, so if you're a UCF fan, hey, hashtag UCF Twitter Mafia. Hit, the, hit, hit this up. Sign up uh, and uh, let us know if you signed up. And we'll be following those, uh, and we'll be following those results uh, throughout the season. All right. Uh, back to uh, American Athletic Conference Media Day. So a couple other little bits of news to pass along. The American unveiled their bowl lineups for 2020 through 2025. Um, their bowl tie-ins, rather. The annual appearances, uh, where they have something every year, will be um, uh, it's a, uh, the Military Bowl in Annapolis, so hosted by Navy. The Armed Forces Bowl in Fort Worth and the Hawaii Bowl um, – and then uh, in uh, alternating years, so one and then the other, and then the forthcoming um, Fenway Park Bowl game in Boston. Um, that'll be the that'll be games that are tied in annually. And then the American will be able to put four selections each year uh, from the following nine bowls. All right, so. Um, uh, the, the Birmingham Bowl, the Bad Boy Mowers Gasparilla Bowl, which is now in Tampa. That's the old St. Pete Bowl that they moved across the bay. Uh, the First Responder Bowl in Dallas. The Boca Raton Bowl in Boca Raton, which I think is a very good uh, destination to go to. The Frisco Bowl in Frisco, Texas. Um, the Cure Bowl. Uh, the Myrtle Beach Bowl. And the New Mexico Bowl in um, Albuquerque. So... Um, interesting that they each have sort of, uh, you know, a, a team that you could, you could drop in from nearby. Um, I think the you know, if, if UCF has an off year, I think you're looking at like, you know, Cure Bowl or Boca Raton, certainly, um, possibly Gasparilla to keep the fans, um, closer to home. So, um, so that would be, uh, that would be interesting, but obviously UCF is keeping their eye on the, uh, New Year's Six Bowl. Um, that conversation has popped back up uh, yet again with UCF making a little bit of noise once again now two years into this you know unbelievable run. Um, I wanted to talk a little bit about it, it, and uh, Eric and Brian about some of the news that was coming out of other media days, particularly the Big Twelve. Um, they unveiled their plan for their ESPN Plus, you know, basically digital network. All right. And and essentially they are they in the American, the Big 12 and the American are doing the same thing um, where they uh, instead of having that, um, you know, the, the massive, you know, in, in part as part of the TV contract. And in, in addition to the games that they will have on you know major networks like ESPN, ESPN is moving their third tier stuff over to ESPN plus, which is, you know, those of us who are in the sports industry, the sports media industry, you know, that's where everything is going. All right. And in the next five years, I do think that's what we're going to see. Watch watch what happens with the NFL when Sunday ticket becomes available. Um, but anyway, Eric, you were following this pretty quickly. What does the Big 12 sort of unveiling portend for the American? Well, I think it tells you that the I mean, and it's 
again, we had Michael Smith on this episode from the Sports Business Journal when this story, the American Conf- TV contract was uh, uh, broke, you know, the news broke. And he mentioned this, that the Big 12 was kind of doing this deal with ESPN and ESPN Plus, and they announced it's basically like Big 12 now, and they're going to have a lot of games, football games. Bat- I mean, they're going to have – it's like their unofficial network. It's like a network, a Big 12 network, basically. Um, I think what it means for the American, again, a lot of the people that are in the industry feel the American did a great deal with this deal because as the years will go on, more and more content will be on ESPN Plus. That's going to be the place to go. And, um, you know, I know in, in stores, Connecticut, they haven't grasped this idea yet, probably because they haven't figured out the basic cable format yet. So once they get the cable, Roku hasn't figured gotten out, there yet. <laughs> yeah. You know, um, but this is the future. I mean, this is where it's headed. And, uh, where people like it or not, and and it it is a similar deal in that what the American has, that the Big Twelve is still going to have marquee games on cable television and on broadcast, just like the American is. So for people that are still flipping out about the American TV deal, look at the Big Twelve TV deal. The other thing too is remember a few years back when this whole realignment nonsense talk about hey, well the Big Twelve needs to expand because you know they got to they to help them build the Big Twelve network. Um, no, they no, don't. No, it doesn't. Nope. <laughs> Um, and I think we're seeing more and more likely, and I think the door is closed on the big 12, like they will not expand anytime soon. It's not going to happen. They are making more money than they ever have. Everybody's happy. They're at 10 members. And I think what we've learned through this process with UConn leaving is if you're not going to get more money as a result of adding the team, what's the point of adding the team? I think that's think what Mike that. Carrasco was, was, you know, was, was more or less alluding to when he said, yes, absolutely. you know, like we talked about earlier about how, you know, we're, we're, we're not in the market for anybody right now. Um, you know, sometimes the best move is to not make a move at all. Especially uh, if it doesn't add money. It's not like right. ESPN's like, hey, if you add this team, we'll give you X amount of money. And I think that's what we, everybody's kind of missed the boat on that. Uh, one of the reasons why the Big 12 didn't expand a few years ago is, A, they got the Big 12 title game waiver, so they didn't have to go to 12. That was a big one. Number two, ESPN wasn't going – the TV contracts weren't going to pay the Big 12 more money because they added a UCF or a Houston or whoever. They were going to get the same money. So if you're a member, you're like, why do I want to split this money with more teams? <laughs> that makes no sense from a business standpoint. So – uh, I think we need to close the book on the Big 12 move and all that nonsense ever. Like, And I think if you're a UCF fan, you have to embrace the fact you're going to be in the American for the foreseeable future. And really, I, I the only way that there's going to be movement is if a marquee player in the sport that can change the financial balance of it. Like, for example, if a Texas or Oklahoma leave the Big 12 to go somewhere else, that would change the landscape financially. That's the only way teams would, at that point, uh, decide to move things around but other than or, that or, or even if you have like a move with the sec where i know th- people are going to be like oh yeah right that'll never happen and i get that you know because i don't think it'll happen but no not or, happen. or or if say clemson and florida state jump to the sec yeah, something or something, crazy like you know, that something, and, something totally right. wild right and everybody's already trying to predict the acc and all that and it's really you can't predict the acc because we have to see how the acc network does first if the ACC network is a huge hit, then more than likely they're going to be more than happy to stay where they're at. Right. Um, the only on the other scenario- hand, if it, turns, if it turns into the Pac-12 network, yes, exactly, <laughs> then that might cause some cheap tweaks. Right, exactly. So I think that's the big takeaway um, from I think that the whole Big Twelve and how that affects the Americans. So 
Um, while I, now, let me ask you this, Brian, I, I, and I don't think this was the case, which, again, uh, with all due respect to all the people that made the trip to Newport, clearly uh, mm. homework was not really a basis on this. But did anybody ask Mike about the length of the contract and why there was such a length of the contract? I know he's been stepping I don't want to get into to this deal. Does anybody, did people ask him specifically about the TV contract and, and his specific, the length? Because I keep getting messages and asked about why did we sign the lengthy deal that they did? Maybe one-on-ones they did, but not uh, during the Q&A of his speech. The, so no, the, I don't I, the, the, the prevailing sense, and I, I, I'd, like, I'd love to get a hold of Mike Carrasco myself at some point. The prevailing thought on this is, because he wanted to get that the word billion into the contract. And when you can and ESPN was like, look, if you want to get a, get a billion dollar commitment, this is how long it's going to take. And so that's what they were. But I, I want to get more details from Resco on that. Well, look, um, and here's the thing. This is the thing, too. Keep this in mind. And you've brought this up in the past. It, this pretty much guarantees that the American's going to be around. Um, and the reality is, while people are yeah. not happy about the fact that they're not it's not money compared to the Big 12, the Pac-12, the SEC and all that. I get that. They have separated themselves from everybody else like the Mountain West, Conference USA, like it's not yeah. close. So they're kind of that sixth league and I think he's kind of accomplished that and I think I think until we see what the Mountain West and Conference USA, I mean Conference USA is basically making Every school is making like $200,000 a year or something like that based on their TV deal, which is terrible. Yeah. Um, they, uh, what was that? Well, there, uh, Oresco did mention that in the press conference, and you were there for that, Murph, where he said, look, we're going to continue fighting to be included in the, auto- in the autonomous group, which is right. You know, right now, you know, people talk about like, oh, well, the, the, you know, the, the power five is a made up term. It's actually not. Um, the uh, NCAA rulebook specifically states that those five conferences have essentially autonomous power. They have extra power in the NCAA's um, voting um, structure. So mm-hmm. what Oresco was mentioning was that we we believe that we should be part of that club um, and will continue to fight for inclusion in it. Now, that means he's going to have to fight for changes in NCAA policy, which yeah. uh, it, it, which is, you know, I, let's face it, it's it's not an easy thing to do. It is an uphill battle, certainly, um, and it's and it's not going to happen because oh UCF beat Auburn one year. It's going to happen because those other five schools agree, or those other five conferences and the presidents associated with them agree to let you in because they believe you will provide more value and do what they all want to do. That's the other thing in terms of NCAA um, policy. I'm not saying that Mike Oresco and the American don't want to do that. I'm just saying it's, it's an uphill battle. I think it's a possibility, but it's not going it, to, and, um, and maybe there's a possibility for, you know, a, a little glint from what Bob Bowlesby uh, said in his uh, uh, press conference with the big 12, you know, where he said, you know, what drives the bus is media, right? And it's what we've been talking about for years on this show. And Bullsby said, you know, anyone who tells you uh, what's going to happen with TV viewing in three to five years is, quote, delusional, end quote. Um, mm-hmm. And so no one can bank on long-term television revenues, in particular from right. cable television, from, from your traditional cable television. So that's where the Americans kind of getting out in front of this. Yes. And doing the deal with ESPN Plus as they did, because 
they know that's where the dollars are going. All right. And it's like the old quote about, you know, from uh, about Wayne Gretzky, don't skate to where the puck is, skate to where it's going to be. They're skating to where the puck's going to be. I think that's the real, I think that's the real big thing. What do you think, Bri? No, I, well, I think uh, people are pining for, to, like, again, to be part of the power five need to really just sort of be real and understand like where they're at now is a pretty decent spot. Like Eric has said, like they've at least broken away from that other pack. So if there's like three tiers of conferences where you have your power five and then the American all by itself, sort of, and then the, the, the lesser D one conferences behind them, like, that's a, that's a lot better than where they were you know, basically when they're on their deathbed, you know, was it like say, eight and seven or eight years ago, uh, after the, the big, the big, the big East, after they, you know, all, you know, the big East, uh, you know, they all left. So uh, it's, it, it's the progress that has been made has been, has been substantial. Uh, and they're not going to be part of the big 12 within, like you said, the next three to five years. That's okay because where they're at now and the advances they've made and the, and the teams they've got and the quality across all sports and well, I mean, and really at high levels too, like I mean, even major sports at high levels of, of success. I, I really think like yeah, it's, it's a pretty good time to, to be a part of the American and and you know I know you want a, a better future, but the present is should be lauded. Yeah, the league is seven years old. It just turned seven years. It's gonna seven years old. It's only seven years old. You're going up against leagues that have existed for hundreds of years, right? That's tradition. Um, and well, not hundreds of years, but you know, but a like long it. time. Um, I mean, I mean the big, people forget that the Big Twelve really isn't all that old. I mean, it it formed in the mid '90s. No, but the, what I'm saying and, is they have programs that have been in existence forever. Like, sure, I mean, that's sure. pretty, and that matters in college athletics. I know people hate to hear that. You know, people get all upset. Oh, well, the only reason why that school is in that conference was because they existed like 50 years ago. Well, yeah, no, thanks, yeah. Sherlock. That's the whole point. Hey, that's how what? they bought works. in. They bought in early. <laughs> they bought yeah, low. Exactly. And Which what you is, right. is trying to do, I think, is is buy low, and the American is trying to do is buy low on the next generation of me, uh, of sports media. Um, interestingly, wait, about wait, this Big 12. Uh, I'm, I'm sorry, Eric. Go ahead. But I think that's – think about this. And I think Mike brought this up in his press conference. And, Brian, you were there for this. You noticed he highlighted the schedule, the non-conference schedule. Thursday night, UCLA yeah. at Cincinnati on ESPN. Friday night, ESPN, South Florida hosting Wisconsin. Saturday, Memphis playing Ole Miss at the Liberty Bowl. Uh, Sunday night, the exclusive game in college football. Houston at Oklahoma. He highlighted that game. The American is going to is showcased across the platforms and the biggest platforms of opening weekend of college football. No other conference that is not a Power Five could say that. Only Boise State in the Mountain West has a marquee game, which is Florida State in Jacksonville that weekend. Yeah. Now that's on ESPN. Um, that's why, and I know UCF fans have been bothered by this because he has been complimenting South Florida on getting Alabama on the schedule and Miami on the schedule and Florida on the schedule. And I think. I don't know if Mike has done a good job of explaining this because I think it's come off the wrong way. But the point is, those games matter from an exposure standpoint, and television yeah. likes those games. Most They're gonna, yeah, those games are going to be on TV regardless of what happens. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's that. That's the thing. Wherever it is, they don't. TV doesn't care if it's two for ones, neutrals, one for one. They like those matchups, and if you get those matchups, that's why you're going to get paid money. You're going to get good TV time slots, which the other leagues don't. One other little and the more. 
the more ahead, chances Brian. you get those, the, the more chances you get those kinds of matchups, it gives you more opportunities to win those matchups. Maybe not against Alabama, yes. but certainly against those other teams, and then you prove yourself. Yeah. And September well, that's the other thing is you got to win. <laughs> and and <laughs> that's know? the thing. Yeah. That's the thing. September, as much as people want to talk about Auburn winning the bowl game and the Baylor win and Houston beating Florida, nobody cares. Outside, outside of those fan bases, the, the casual person does not care about those games. The more impactful wins are regular season games. They just are because there's no excuses in regular season games. You're, everybody has to win and all that stuff. You don't have this nonsense about do we care about bowl games, guys declaring for the draft. Nobody cares about bowl games anymore. I mean, I'm sorry to break it to you. But <laughs> – September games do, and I'm going to segue this, Brian, because I do think that first week, those games I just highlighted, is big for the American Conference to make a statement of how good this league is this year, because I thought the league was down last year after really having a high level of play, maybe even surprising people when the league first started in 2013. I think the, the play was dropped off. Um, I think we're going to learn how good this league is in the first week and how these teams look against good comp- against competition here. Yeah, uh, absolutely. Now, now it's upon, and that, you know, it's 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 beholden upon the AAC to to show that they can they can win those games, and you know, that Houston can compete with Oklahoma in the third week of the season. I mean, that that needs to happen. If we should actually talk about UCF at the media day, I I, I mean, at some point in this UCF podcast. <laughs> all right, what, all right, do, right so what? Right. What's the big? What came out of media <laughs> let's, days? Let's, yeah, let's finish, let's finish strong. It is, yeah, what what questions were not answered by UCF people at? <laughs> Uh, I, I, I just, you know, I thought we should at least touch upon that now as we're in, uh, I think, minute 35 of, of this UCF podcast. Uh, I, I think people, you know, wanted, like, to, to get anything out of Josh Heibel about the quarterback. Certainly that didn't happen. Uh, UCF football and, and its Twitter video uh, made me look as if I asked a bunch of questions about the quarterback position, like the, 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 the starting position. Uh, the way they chopped it up, I feel like I was a little, a little thrown under the bus. But really, oh. I, I, you know, Whoa. but uh, but uh, but at least I asked about if Brandon Wimbush's experience uh, would at least give him a leg up on, on guys like Dylan Gabriel and Roger Jones, who are, you know are just are our freshmen and, and younger guys, and and Josh basically combated that by saying, you know, all three of the guys are young in our system, uh, and so they're sort of all on the same learning curve. Even though Brandon uh, Brandon has is a grad transfer senior, uh, they're all sort of at the same point as far as learning what we do here at UCF. Um, you know, so that's that with, with the quarterbacks. I am going to write up something on, on Richie Grant, who is really always fun to talk to. Uh, we talked about how he's building upon his, his, his breakout season from last year, how he did think about going to the draft a little bit after last season and why he backed off of that. Um, so I'll have that too. And then, uh, yeah, we'll just go from there. Richie Grant I, I was named to one of the watch lists too earlier, uh, wasn't he too? Yeah, Richard, well, well, we've gotten five guys. Gabe Davis, who was there in in, uh, in, in Rhode Island as well, has been named to the Blitnikoff watch list. Uh, Greg uh, Greg McRae is on the Doug Walker watch list. Uh, you've got uh, uh, Richie Green on, on the Bagneric uh, uh, watch list. Uh, I, I forgot the name of the one that Jordan Johnson is on. Uh, it's, it's like for being a, a good person. That's well, the Good, the good Works Award, yeah. Yeah, um, and being, then, a, uh, for being a humanitarian. Yeah. And then uh, Adrian Killen's on the Maxwell too. I mean, that's that yeah. was a little bit of a that was a little bit of a surprise to me. I, I, I not that not anything against Adrian. Um, you know, heading into his senior year, you know, he was com- he was kind of coming off of I thought you know a, a, a down year last year. Um, I I would love to see if he how he would bounce back though. That should be 
uh, one of the fun things to watch. Adrian, can you believe Adrian Killens is a senior now? I know. Well, I think last year I thought even last year I called him a sophomore. And I was like, no, he's a junior. Like, oh yeah, geez, really getting up there. Jeez. By the way, I mean, and there's there's even more to come here. I, I think you're you're probably going to see uh, Richie Grant on uh, one of the Thorpe Awards for defensive back. Uh, maybe one of the offensive linemen uh, get on the watching list. What's the name of the watch list for the offensive linemen? The Outland, I think it's the Outland Trophy. Yeah, or, the Outland Trophy. Uh, I'd like rim- to see Jordan. Yeah, I'd like to see Jordan Johnson get on the Outland Outland Trophy list. That would be. Well, he'll probably be on, he'll probably be on the Remington Trophy because that's the very best center. Ah, oh, okay, gotcha. Yeah. But but again, the point is like there's a lot more UCF players named to these lists. I know there are like 80 or plus names on this list every time one of them comes out, but it's still it's still a nice feather in the cap to be to be uh, recognized. Yeah, that, yeah, that the Remington Trophy is to the center, but you could be a center and get the Outland Trophy too. Though I mean, you could. Yeah, yeah, get all that. We we, we don't have the uh, what's the one for holder of the year. <laughs> that was oh know. I forgot. Yeah, I forgot that one. That was oh, that was Mac. That was Mac a, last year. Mac Laudermilk, yeah, he won. Yeah. The, it's always an honor to be watched, I guess. In the, 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 yeah. The hey, I might, way, see, I might see Lombardi. You know, Lombardi Award. Uh, we could yeah. see. Um, um, we could see some action on that too as well. Go ahead, Eric. I'm sorry. I'm just going to say I'm going to defend UCF here. I kind of look at it in the video as they're showcasing Murph more than. Uh, throwing them out. I think they're just showcasing. Hey, here's the marquee media guy asking these questions. Hot burning. Well, that's not true. I, I, I don't. I, I, I mean, I, I appreciate like, that. Watch what? Yeah. Watch us. Watch us play Patrick Waugh to, <laughs> to <laughs> my shot. Kick save and a beauty. I, 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 <laughs> I did not ask who was going to start. All I wanted to know was about the young guys. And like when they, when they put my name in there, when they put the, the soundbite where I mentioned uh, Dylan and Quadri, it was another question about how have they grown over the summer. It was not are they going to start or where are they in the hierarchy. Just as young guys, how have they gotten better? But anyway, it was all grouped in together, and now I feel accosted. I feel like you're going to be on Netflix this year. Can you be yeah. on Netflix this year as a cameo? I feel like that's coming. Like that needs to happen. Right. Like, can we push for that? Know, did, did that? Did that happen? Well, wasn't I already on like one of their things in the, the preseason when they when I asked yes. about game when they did the reflection on game day and I they put my question in there. Although I, I, I give them credit on that. I give them credit on that though because they captioned it obviously on the Twitter video of the question I asked. But because I'm really bad at speaking in any, in any forum, they edited my question to make it. Like seem more coherent than it actually was. So for that, I give them credit for making me seem like I asked a better question than I actually did. <laughs> you're gonna be like, uh, you know, on Netflix, you're gonna be like, who's the guy from? Uh, from uh, oh, J- you're gonna be like John C. McGinley in any given Sunday. Right? Yeah, yeah. I'm, not, I'm a Netflix character actor. Yeah, I just, I just sort of show up. That's my question. I, I feel like it's coming. Like Gary Paris and the narrator is gonna be like. Coach Hypo getting pressed hard questions by the media. Yeah, <laughs> yeah right. That's your, that's your questions right yeah, there. And, and, then, and then and then in the in the scene right after the press conference, it's like you see them walking onto the bus. He's like, you know, and and the narrator and and Gary's like, you know, after all that business, you know, like throwing shade at you somehow. Or other, it's going to be fantastic. Also, oh, we, we should, it was kind of funny. There's a funny moment there where. Uh, I asked the one thing I want to know about Max was, you know, cause on Monday talking to Orlando Sentinel, Heupel did express that it's not season ending for Max. He's going to be back. Uh, that was clear, but then we needed to figure out like which ankle was it. And so I asked like, which ankle did he break and Heupel and the players 
hilariously, like, it, it's funny because I just can't believe that they would not know. So, they, and then the way, the links in which they went to it of like, oh, I, I forgot. I mean, uh, oh, geez, uh, I don't even know. I looked at it once and I didn't, didn't even look. I asked Heipel and Heipel called Gabe over to ask him if he knew which ankle Mac broke, which is, again, the length is hilarious. Uh, but, but he did say he thinks it was the left. He broke his left ankle. So there we go. Mac broke his lead ankle, which if you want to get into recovery timetables, now it might affect him when he comes back. He broke his, broke the ankle on his lead foot. Uh, so he's turning off of that, pivoting off of that leg. Um, so we can talk about that when he comes back. But the fact that they couldn't come out and give me a hard answer on that, I, I, maybe maybe, they, maybe they, they really were telling the truth. But, God, you're your coach. You don't it's even know what ankle the guy broke. He probably just, has say, a, just say no comment. No, he probably hasn't even seen him since then, right? Well, like, I, you know, right, remember, it's still the summer. You know, I mean, it's it's, it's not like, you know, Daryl Mack is spending all of his spare time in Josh Heupel's office where they're, you know. No, I'm not. But you, but if, but you, you don't you don't know. You don't know. With like, the, like these like these aren't even specifics. Like just the general knowledge of your quarterback's broken ankle. Again, I, I, this, this Mike Mop is seeing like I'm bitching about this, but if you know, either you know or you say no comment. I, I just, it was weird. It was weird. But again, he said left okay. ankle. Okay, he thinks he it was the left like, ankle. But what if he said like I don't know? Then you would have been like, what do you mean you don't know? <laughs> <laughs> well, he kind of did. He did. He said, uh, and he was like asking for help. And so either you know or you say no comments or something like that. But anyway. So now I'm now I'm gonna be now I'm gonna be vilified by the SIDs for this. Yeah, 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 yeah. Now you're on. Now you're on. Dan, right, right. We've got a feud going here. I mean, did you? Yeah. Ryan's on the same flight as Kevin Owens. He just built his anchor like Kevin Owens. I know. I'm a I'm a major heel now, and with the UCF SIDs, I've got the KO. The KOs rubbed off on me. Although Kevin's turned babyface on SmackDown, but that's a whole other. It's true. Yeah, yeah, he did. Although I don't. I don't have his sort of like stone cold Steve Austin persona that he's now adopted where he's against the authority and he's doing stunners. Like it, I don't have that in me. You mean like, um, like the so, blatant ripoff of the 90 of the biggest storyline, in the history of the industry, stone cold versus Vince McMahon. They're just replaying this with Kevin Owens playing the role of Steve Austin and Shane playing the role of Vince. You mean that, that, that angle? Yep, exactly. <laughs> How can let we me, raise let ratings? Me, let me reach in here and pull the show back. What? What are you talking um, about? Excuse me. What? Pardon no, listen, my Jeff, This is important information. I mean, Brian was on the flight with Kevin Owens back. I mean, that was the most note to me. That was the and, most noteworthy. Thing and took it and took a very surreptitious photo too, like with one of the yeah. in way. You know, I was like, oh, I, I was a member of the. I was a member of the paparazzo. Yeah. Oh, Kevin Owens. <laughs> I interviewed Kevin Owens once. Great guy, though. He's down to earth guy. Uh, so I All hope right. he thinks yeah. the world. Now let me ask Although you. Although I will, this, I, I, I will say, like, I did not expect Kevin Owens to be taking a Southwest flight at 5 a.m. I just thought maybe, like, a JetBlue flight, you know, maybe wow. Virgin Air, Southwest. Well, though, that's rough. There's only so many flights out of that area, from what I hear. Yeah. yeah. Ryan out. Murphy, or local Orlando writer, complains about WWE flight <laughs> arrangements. Uh, I feel like, you need, by the way, I need the next time you talk to Greg Lovelady Murph, this has to be the conversation. Like, you have to bring up Kevin Owens' flight. Just, yeah, yeah. give his thoughts on Kevin Owens. Hey, remember like 15 minutes ago when I was talking about we should talk about UCF in this podcast, and then I did for like five minutes. And now I'm, I'm going okay, to start pounding the gavel here in a second. I do have a follow-up right, follow UCF question. What was the most common question asked that, that had nothing to do with quarterback? 
well, I think, well, again, because I only got to talk to them one-on-one, you know, I don't really know what other media members were talking to them about um, because it was all sort of like people all around the room. There was never a time in which there was a group around one guy or Coach Hankel even. It was all sort of one-on-one. Again, it was really disorganized. It was really disorganized. Um, I think that the thing I wanted to know more about than quarterback was, was kind of about the defense, which I know Heifel's not the, the greatest guy to talk about with that, but you know, having that back four in their secondary and having Richie there, a top 100 player, according to SI, and, and he's getting this, this you know, he, he had known that he'd been on the narrow watch list. I think talking to him about the defense uh, was, was at least the most, the second most illuminating thing out, out of that whole, out of the, the day we spent there was getting his thoughts on the defense, getting his thoughts on having the secondary back and how they play off each other, uh, the experience and the knowledge they have around each other, the familiarity, how it helps when the front seven is kind of a, a new group. Um, and also, Josh mentioned guys as leaders on the defense, names you may not expect, like Randy Charlton, who's a sophomore. Uh, again, a very high-ceiling sophomore, a guy who played well when he got playing time as a freshman. But, you know, Josh really going out of his way to, to label Randy as a leader on that defense, I, I think is interesting. Uh, and it kind of tells you where that front seven's at. I think that bodes pretty well for UCF if he's, if he's out there touting uh, t- touting Randy Charlton as an early season leader, though. I, I, th- that does, yeah, I, the defense has always been, the, I think, the main concern for this team, I think, coming in, especially after what they did at some points last year. But, yeah, I mean, like, like even I talked about it a little bit with um, Mark Rogers uh, uh, last week was, it was him and Eric Gilliard, I think, really get me excited about what, what what's happening. And yeah. when you got Nate Evans coming back, I mean, I think that's going to be, um, a big thing to follow too. So, all right. A um, couple things I wanted to uh, want to clean up before we get out of here. Um, uh, the basketball schedule uh, continues to fill out. Um, UCF has announced a series with Miami in basketball. Um, <laughs> it's it's going to be. I don't know somehow that tripped my Siri. Um, but uh, yeah, UCF and Miami for uh, men's basketball. Um, and what were the details on that too, Eric? Because I saw um, it's going to be uh, – there's going to be, I think, three games in the series. Is that right? Uh, no, I understand it's a home-and-home. Home. I believe it's a home-and-home oh, yeah, home home starting home. this year. Gotcha, uh, gotcha. November 12th, the game will be at UCF. No, there's no two-for-ones in basketball, uh, Jeffrey. Come on now. Um, there's a home-and-home, home, November 12th here at UCF. This upcoming season, it's during the UCF bye week in football. Um, yeah. Which Think yeah. helps Murph and others like myself as well. That'll be fun. Well, helps you know UCF. <laughs> it, it, comes, it comes. It comes. It comes. It comes at a time between road games for UCF. They have a road game of Tulsa on the eighth, and then a road game of Tulane on the twenty third. So uh, you can come home and and watch some, uh, which should be a, a really good basketball game against a Miami program that yes took a step back, but because of things like injuries and uh, NCAA investigations that they were later exonerated with or from. Uh, that really sort of like shut them down last year. But this mm-hmm. is a good program with, under Jim Laranega. Yeah, yeah, Jim. I agree. And then the following year, they'll play in Coral Gables uh, down there in Miami. And I, I'm excited about it. Uh, a quick note, my first ever UCF basketball road game I ever went to was not even, I mean, was in 2000, December of 2000. UCF played at Miami at the old Miami Arena, Jeffrey, if you remember yeah. the old Miami I remember Arena. the old Miami Arena. Oh, uh, that was home for a long time. Yeah. Um, and I just went there because I wanted to see some college hoops. 
and uh, watch that game play there. That was the first UCF basketball game I ever actually was at in person before even yeah. coming, even thinking about uh, going to UCF the following semester and moving to Orlando. So um, it was uh, it was a blast. Uh, I'm happy that these two schools I, – I think one of the things that's hurt college basketball interest in the state of Florida is that these Florida teams don't play each other. Like Florida yeah. and Florida State play every year, but outside of that, you don't have a, you know UCF in South Florida now have to play because they're in the conference, but like Miami doesn't play uh, you know Florida that often in the regular season. Uh, you know I, I think it'd be great. It's good for those college basketball in the state, which by the way, all these programs in the state have darn pretty darn good over the last handful of years, and I would uh, as a whole maybe have outperformed the college football programs as a whole. Okay, I'll. I don't know. That's a tough thing to say. I, don't I mean, really... Florida. I'll give you an example. I mean, Florida. I would. I would say Florida State has definitely outperformed football the last few years, making uh, the Elite Eight point. and the Sweet Sixteen. Uh, Florida. I think Florida basketballs had more recent success than Florida basketball, um, and I think UCF's had a great year in basketball, so they're right up par. They're, they're, they have nothing to be ashamed of there. And at South Florida basketball has been better than football uh, last year. It was at least. So um, I think we're in a good. Mindset right now, we're in a good place in college basketball in this state of Florida. So I hope we see more matchups in the state. And I think uh, applause to UCF and my and Miami for making that happen. All right, um, a couple of schedules also that I wanted to uh, pass along as well. Um, women's soccer. Okay, think about this. It, today is we're recording this Thursday, July eighteenth. UCF women's soccer opens their season with an exhibition match at Tuscaloosa against Alabama on Sunday, August 11th, less than a month away. Uh, yeah. Men's men's soccer, um, their schedule for some reason is not loading on UCF's website right now. Volleyball starts with an exhibition at Florida on Saturday, August 24th, barely one month and one week. Um from now. So we are very quickly ticking toward the start of the 2019 season. We're going to have to, we're going to have to start making some phone calls out here for crying out loud. Get some coaches on the show, man. Jeez. Well, less than two weeks away from football media day here at UCF. And then the day after that, the 31st of July is the first practice. First game practice of the year. Uh, we also have, um, Three UCF players playing in the 2019 uh, in the basketball tournament. They will be playing for a team called Florida TNT. Um, and uh, they will actually be playing on ESPN 3 Friday at 3 p.m. Josh Peppers, Keith Clanton, and Tristan Spurlock will be, um, will be on that team. Um, ESPN 3, uh, 3 p.m. Friday, July Nineteenth, uh, so um, so they'll be in the they'll be in the Greensboro regional of uh, the basketball tournament, the summer tournament. The championship will be in August at uh, Wintrust Arena in Chicago. And uh, let's see what. Uh, oh, and uh, and once again, NBA Summer League finished up. Aubrey Dawkins and yep. uh, Taco Fall advanced to the uh, playoffs. Uh, it, the summer of Taco continues. Real quick, I, and I do, I wanted to touch upon this because. You know, he scored in double figures in two of his games. He only missed two, four, five shots <laughs> in the whole turn. Yeah. Um, Taco, Taco was solid. Um, Aubrey was less so uh, in Summer League. I know you guys, you know, touched upon that, at least in the early part. But well, uh, we got some actually break developing news on that. Oh, uh, okay. Go, it hit me, Eric. 
On Thursday, Danny Ainge, the general manager of the Boston Celtics, appeared on 98.5 FM's Toucher and Rich show. Tucker and uh, Rich. Tucker? Oh, you know, I'm seeing you're the radio. Yeah, I'm glad you know all yeah, the radio see, and up in the Northeast. Hey, no hard feelings. Go for it. Tucker. Uh, this is what Danny Ainge said in the uh, interview about Taco Falk. Quote, we're trying to still get a contract done with Taco. We haven't signed him yet. Uh, I really can't say much more about Taco than we're just trying to get him in the fold. So sounds pretty optimistic here, boys, that Taco Fall will have some sort of a deal uh, with the Boston Celtics uh, if they can come to terms. Very interestingly, Taco Fall recently, there was news that just came out, changed agents, went with a more experienced group of agents. Uh, so he's actually changed representation. Uh, but that's something to monitor here. Like, looks like Taco Fall might have something – the Celtics looks like at least made a good impression on the Celtics, I guess, to the point where they might try to work some sort of a deal out here where either he's on a G League and, or a two-way contract or even maybe at least be invited to training camp, I think, could be in play here. Yeah, what do you think yeah. about uh, – oh, go ahead, Murph. I'm sorry. No, I, I, I just I, – my thing about this is that I, I think the stats for Taco were, were great. You know, I think, like you said, Jeffrey, you missed like five shots. I believe it was 16 for 21 from the floor. Which again, it comes with the caveat that none of these shots are taken from more than five feet away from the rim. But that doesn't matter. The, Nor should so the they be. To be matter. honest with you, <laughs> right? And and the stat the stats don't really matter. It's it's how it's how it's what could he show that's different than what we already knew about him. Right. Uh, and, and Taco did that. Uh, Aubrey did not. Even if Aubrey shot better, he still sort of was what we thought he was, which is he's a shooter. He plays okay defense. Um, can't really create his own shot that well, but when he's on, he's on, he can really knock down shots. He just wasn't that on very often in summer league. But Taco showed an athleticism, an ability to move and run and get on fast break that we never, we honestly had never seen him at that that style, that level at UCF. There was that the one block that everyone showed. Remember where Taco is trailing the play and almost leaps, no, he leaps into the air to block a shot. This is a seven foot six, three hundred pound man leaping into the air, gliding through the air to block a shot. That is nuts. That is crazy. Out of a man like that, who again, we had lots of questions about his, his athleticism. So for all the stats about he blocked shots and he and he, and he had a shot uh, a really high percentage, it doesn't matter. It was about can he show us that he can move, and he did that. That's why the Celtics should be looking into keeping him on the roster. Um, because he's much more of of an, of an athlete than I think anybody gave him credit for heading into the draft. Yeah, uh, a couple other notes too. I, Aubrey Dawkins, you know, like and you touched upon it, Murph did not quite hit the stride that I think we were. I, he and you were right. I think I saw you know you observed that he was pretty ner- he looked pretty nervous the first game or two, like he was oh, trying he was, to force uh, the issue. Yeah, I he, think throughout. He, I think throughout he was rushing. Yeah, he was. He finished thirteen of forty from the field. Um, overall, he averaged 6.3 points in 13.5 minutes over the six. He played all six games, uh, three rebounds, you know, but 33% from the field, even though he was shooting, uh, shooting a lot from outside, I don't think is quite the, quite what he was looking for. Um, DJ Taylor for the Orlando magic barely saw any action. He only played in one game, four minutes was over one from the field. Didn't score a point. Um, and Chad Brown also played in that one game. They both they both played in the Magic's last game. Chad played three minutes. He got two points on one of two from the field and three rebounds. So it's a bummer that we didn't see more of those guys um, out there. And then uh, actually, the funniest part of of the of the of the summer league I thought was 
Taco nearly killing a former teammate of his. Do you remember that, uh, Brian? Yeah. It was it was it was on during the All Star game, the MLB All Star game. Yeah. So I was going back and forth, and uh, I just so happened maybe it was between innings to be watching uh, Taco on the move gets fed on the break. He's and basically he's outside the paint. He gets a running start from outside the paint and basically runs former UCF guard and then former uh, Florida Gulf Coast guard Brandon Goodwin yeah. runs him through. Through him and basically sends Brandon Goodwin out of the building. <laughs> Brandon Goodwin, if you see the video, and we showed it, we we tweeted it out, but I'll probably put it in the show in the show description on the site. We just you see Brandon Goodwin step in front of Taco Fall, they make contact, and then Brandon Goodwin hits the floor and just slides out of sight. <laughs> just, yeah. we don't we don't know if he's still sliding halfway to Albuquerque right now, but um, <laughs> but and then Brandon tweeted afterwards. I think he, didn't he tweet after? He's like Taco tried to kill me. <laughs> Yeah, he absolutely did. <laughs> it was just it was just perfect the way this the way the basketball stanchion was set up and the way he slid and carried his momentum. Uh, it, it, you could you could you could theorize that yes, he just never stopped. He never stopped sweat. He tweeted yeah. while he was still sliding his way through Vegas. Yeah, <laughs> just Brandon Goodwin. Good luck with that. Yeah, yeah, t- yeah. He he tweeted right at Taco. Tried to kill me. <laughs> mm-hmm. But good on Brandon, right? Because he did. It was it was an obvious charge. Brandon stood his ground and with well, a guy who's a foot and a half taller than him and, and is three hundred and ten pounds. I mean, and he stood in there and took it. And right. uh, and actually, he came, he came up injured. He actually suffered a shoulder injury on that play, um, which is not you know not hard to believe. Um, but good on him, man. That that takes that takes a testicular fortitude, as Mick Foley would say. <laughs> exactly. But uh, so, uh, yeah, now we're going to keep an eye on the offseason, uh, the NBA, and see what uh, see what comes with. So, all right, um, let's wrap this thing up here this week. Uh, Eric, I'll go back to you. What do you have coming up this week? I know we're going to be trying to finish out the uh, top 25 games of last year before, you know, next year starts. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we're uh, halfway through, almost more than halfway through there. Uh, so we'll get those dolls continuing the ranking. I, I was going to plow right through them, getting them out for you. But like then news happens and it's like, geez, Louise, man. imagine that. Well, I'm glad because yeah. I'm having a tough time in my top 10 right now. So I'm glad you paused. Oh, you <laughs> but hit we the writer's block. Oh, yeah, I've hit the writer's block, man. It's like, oh, what do I go with this game? I like I've changed my number 12 ranking like four times already. Not good. Uh, <laughs> I, might, I might need you both to have like the type step in here and throw in the towel or something. Uh, I don't know. Okay. But we will have the top 25 rankings. Uh, we've been following that st- deal there on the Black and Gold Banneret. Well, obviously, and uh, that will be main thing on the Black and Gold Banneret. Uh, and then when I'm not doing UCF related stuff, um, I'm breaking stories in softball. Like who's going to be the next head coach at Mississippi State or my exclusive interview with Cat Osterman. Outside of that, uh, life is good. Only my yeah, my Osterman, man, good get. Yeah, and she talks about Allison Kime, the UCF Hall of Famer. Actually, that'll be in the Monday edition of the In the Circle podcast. Details on In the Circle SB, which Jeffrey has been a part of that show. I don't sure. think Brian will ever be a part of that show, but you never know. Uh, Brian, I mean, okay. yeah. No, I, I I don't know. I I do hope for a future in which that's possible. I I just don't know when that'll be. I I, I mean, I mean, I well, I hope so. I hope so. Anyway, what well, what Jeffrey? I was going to ask you what you uh, have coming up this week, uh, other than prepping uh, for a UCF Media Day in a couple weeks. Yeah, right. Uh, I will uh, be. I'll be writing an article about Richie Grant again. A, a really great guy to always talk to. He's really open and 
and uh, is never, he's pretty honest about new things. So I'll have that and a few other notes from Media Day as well. Uh, I'm going to throw up an article about Derek King, uh, talking to him about five to ten minutes uh, on one-on-one about what his offseason was like and, and how he's um, you know looking to this season, how he wants to sort of make up for how last season ended. Um, and really, let's be honest, I think Derek King is possibly the single greatest player threat to UCF, possibly the, the, the greatest player threat to UCF not winning this conference. I think there's no other player who represents a greater threat. Maybe there's a better team, certainly, but uh, as far as a single player, there may not be any other bigger threat to UCF not winning this conference than Derek King. So getting to talk to him was, was, was nice and talk to his teammates about him as well. So uh, those things coming up uh, on the site later. I've got a look back. I finally finished it after all of these months. I looked all the way back to all of UCF football's National Signing Day signing classes, going back to 2004. So a good 10 years worth of data that I plugged in, because you know how I don't like to grade recruiting classes when they come in, but after they finished, because that's how they should be graded. And uh, I've got all that data up on the site. I'm going to try and analyze it here in the next couple of weeks, maybe come up with some interesting uh, information. This goes back all the way to George O'Leary's first recruiting class. By the way, uh, if if you're wondering, which UCF head coach of the most recent three, O'Leary, Frost, and Heifel, has recruited the state of Florida the most? I have that answer. And you're going to have to read to find out. It's going to be interesting. Tease, people. He's in the business. He's not not a professional for nothing. That's right. By the way, uh, uh, we we cannot forget, they announced the 11-person group for the 2019 Florida Sports Hall of Fame induction class was announced Wednesday. We got two UCF people in it, folks. Dante Culpepper, quarterback, UCF, is in this mm-hmm. class. Not a, not a big surprise there. Obviously, great career there, 95 to 98. How about this one, Jeffrey? Winston DeBose, the soccer player, played from nice. 73 to 76. Uh was an All-American Honors as a goaltender and then ended up playing professionally for the Tampa Bay Rowdies and the Tulsa Ruff, uh, Roughnecks. <laughs> Roughnecks. What a great team name. That's awesome. The Roughnecks. Uh, That's great. So he's been inducted in this class as well. Uh, how about that? Yeah. I, I didn't, he's, I and he's about... one of the OGs from UCF men's soccer too, man. If you're going back to 1973, whew. That's, That's... Pretty, uh pretty remarkable uh, deal there. That's awesome for him. So congrats to him and congrats to Dante. Other notables in this class, uh, Mr. Murph, Jason Veritek, who is, uh, oh, yeah. is a Florida, yeah. he's a Florida Dr. guy. Dr. Phillips High yeah. School, right, Murph? Well, yeah, it's also, uh, also a man who is involved in one of the greatest Yankees wrestling brawls of all time. And more importantly, as far as the Florida Sports Hall of Fame is concerned. Oh, okay, uh, fine. It was part of the Ultimate Springs Little League champ- U.S. National Championship. Uh, ah, yes. Can't forget about that. That's, you know, Florida Hall of Fame. Chris Winkie, Heisman Trophy quarterback at Florida State, who went up against Josh Heupel at the Orange Bowl, at the 2001 Orange Bowl. He's being inducted in this class. Yeah. Pat Williams, of course, with the Orlando Magic. Uh, kind of surprised he's not already been inducted. I was going to yeah. say it. Yeah, yeah right? <laughs> Uh, he's in this part of this class as well. Annika Sorenstam, who I think is the greatest women's golf professional golf player of all time. Wow. She's being mm-hmm. inducted into this class. Uh, as I'm quickly, Pete Dunn, Stetson's legendary head baseball coach. Wow, yeah. He's another one I'm surprised is taking him this long. I mean, well, he just retired recently. 
I, so I, well, I guess that must that must be the that must be the rule, right? You have to retire from because I think if I'm not mistaken, Pat Williams only just officially yes. retired yes. from his yes. job with the Orlando Magic. Is that right? So that's correct. That's a good one. That's a very good point. So that maybe um, that's why. So that's that's part of so that's part of the big class. David Little, who is the brother of Dolphin legend Larry Little, who was a he was a high school All American in Miami Jackson. He's in this class. It's kind of fascinating. They really go across the board. When they say Florida Sports Hall of Fame, they talk high school success. I mean, every every level in the state of Florida. So uh, UCF happens to be will be rep, uh, represented uh, with two guys, with Culpepper and DeBose. All right. So congrats to Dante. It's going to be fun to see. Where, where are they hosting that induction? Do you know yet? Yes. Tuesday, November 12th. Oh. Uh, oh. Uh, we don't want Miami. Get that Miami game out of here. I guess so much for the, hey, let's ask Murph if he could cover the Hall of Fame conversation. Um, that's out there. Yeah. Holy smokes. Yeah. Yeah, that's, that's rough. No, I'll be, I'll be watching basketball. Right. Well, at least I don't have to worry about missing a man. Now, at least I now know as somebody who covers the Magic, I don't have to worry about missing a Magic game for the UCF Miami game. But wow, that's things that Jeffrey, you could go to that Hall of Fame ceremony. You get you're you're a, you're a high profile person in the state of in this region. You can make that work, right? I got I got two kids to watch. <laughs> I got this on a Tuesday night. It's I I mean, I, don't get me wrong. I love going to those kinds of things. I've tried to make it to the Hall of Fame, but. Uh, yeah, it's it, it would be it would be tough to get to, but I hope they stream it somewhere so you can at least get some of Dante, um, and hopefully we'll get maybe we'll get him on the show before that happens too. Well, so I think he, that's going to be interesting, right? Because he's kind of been, you know, MIA, right? He's kind of been missing in action. He's not really been around the program, and that's been a big mystery there. And I know there's been speculation. People try to get him, maybe even to come to game day last year and be the speaker. So that's interesting that he'll maybe potentially be there in person to be inducted because you're right. He hasn't been around. And, um, you know, I think there's, you know, and we'll get to this maybe down the road in a future episode might even be an article uh, idea is, is Dante Culpepper, you know, where is he ranked now in UCF football history? Is he, yeah. cause I think a lot of, you know, is he still, is he, is he still regarded as the best quarterback of all time? Is he the regarded as the best player of all time or has that been replaced? And, 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 and is, does the relate, you know, in fact, he hasn't been around. Does that help or hurt his legacy? Uh, who knows? But uh, you cannot question beyond the field accomplishments. Yeah. So, all right. That'll wrap it up for us uh, this week on the Black and Gold Banneret podcast. Make sure you follow us on Twitter, UCF underscore Banneret. Uh, also, follow us on Facebook, facebook.com slash Black and Gold Banneret. And as always, at Black and Gold Banneret.com, where, where we are the home for UCF sports on the SB Nation network so for eric lopez and brian murphy i am jeff sharon thank you so much for listening the quote off season end quote continues here in orlando we'll catch you next week